This is The Guardian. Today, what are Russia's secret military operatives doing in Ukraine? Just a quick heads up before we start. This episode does contain some descriptions of violence and torture. Officially, they don't exist. The Kremlin denies any involvement. But the Wagner Group, a private army of mercenaries backed by a Russian oligarch, are in Ukraine. And they've reportedly been ordered to assassinate President Volodymyr Zelensky. According to the information we have, the enemy has marked me as target number one. My family as target number two. They want to damage Ukraine politically by destroying the head of state. These highly trained guns for hire are said to be roaming the Ukrainian capital. In recent days, rumours have wildly circulated of roving Russian agents attempting to bring terror to the streets and plotting a route into Kiev for the Russian tanks. Military contractors aren't a Russian invention. South African mercenaries have been deployed around the world, and the American firm Blackwater became infamous for its involvement in Iraq. So I think it's not unique to Russia, but what is unique, I think, is how close Wagner is with the Russian government. Reporter Piotr Sauer has been looking into the Wagner Group's unofficial relationship with the Kremlin. It's almost hard to call it a private military company when it works alongside the Russian government. He's analysed their missions and interviewed one former operative who wants to let the world know exactly what it is they do and why. From The Guardian, I'm Noshin Ekbal. Today in Focus, the Wagner Group's shadow mission in Ukraine. Piotr Sauer, you've been following the Wagner Group since 2014. What were they doing then? This is really when the inception of Wagner also started in eastern Ukraine, actually, which, you know, given the current events, makes the topic very interesting. Wagner emerged in 2014 following the Maidan revolution, the pro-Western revolution in Ukraine. They were used to fight the Ukrainian army in eastern Ukraine. Their vehicles marked with the white painted circles of the separatists, but with all other insignia removed. These men don't look like ragtag militia. They look like a small reconnaissance unit of professional soldiers. They were used as part of the annexation in Crimea, part of the support of the little green men that Russia has denied it was there. There are no troops whatsoever, no Russian troops at least. And this is how Wagner emerged as this murky group to go and fight on behalf of Russia, but not technically part of the Russian defense ministry. You've called them a murky group, but I mean, they're also established as a mercenary group, aren't they? So I wonder if you could explain what exactly a mercenary group is, what do they do, what kind of people are involved? So it's important to know that Wagner doesn't actually exist on paper. It doesn't have an office. And mercenary groups are also banned officially in Russia. So that's why I, sort of, I refer to them as murky, because the government says it doesn't exist. 
Right. And it's important to say that Wagner soldiers, when they sign for Wagner, they sign a NDA, non-disclosure, and they rarely give interviews. They rarely talk. Their family members are supposed to stay quiet. So a lot of the information is sort of hidden. But from the details we have, it's usually guys who are a bit older, over 35, who have served in the Russian military, who've uh, had experience fighting and who are looking to make some extra money. Wagner soldiers are paid really well. They're paid as much as three, four thousand pounds a month, which is way more than a Russian soldier makes. Mm. You know, these are guys who also worked as, for example, bodyguards in the 1990s after the fall of the Soviet Union, when many oligarchs had little private armies. And the recruitment to get into Wagner is quite tough. You know, I've talked to some who've been recruited and there's a lot of interviews. Also, sort of they check your mental capabilities. And then you spend a few weeks training at this training base in the south of Russia before you sort of become an official Wagner soldier. And how big are they and how did they get their name? We don't know exactly how many soldiers fight for Wagner and are involved in Wagner. We know the group has grown immensely from a few hundred that were involved in Eastern Ukraine 2014 to at least 10,000 soldiers now staged across the world, really. The name, it's sort of a topic of debate, but Wagner was founded by this guy called Dmitry Utkin. We don't know much about him, but based on the evidence we have and the pictures we have, it's this really imposing, bold, former Russian military officer who holds far-right views, seemed to be an admirer of Nazi Germany, and he named Wagner after the German composer Richard Wagner, who was... Hitler's favorite composer. The irony really is, especially of Wagner fighting now in Russia's war against denazification of Ukraine, while it seems like the, the very name of Wagner lies in Nazi Germany. Given that these are quite hardened men, they're fighting for money, is there a risk that they'll be engaged in war crimes and human rights abuses? Well, that risk is there because we have evidence that happened. We've known Wagner's been acting outside the law, and there are multiple instances of them committing pretty horrible things. And of course, because they're mercenaries, it's harder to bring them to justice. The Russian government says they don't know anything about them. They know anything about those crimes. It's sort of outside of their capability to sort of bring these guys to court. Mm. So definitely, I think one of the dangers of private military companies, not just Wagner, is that they can act outside the law. Piotr, the more I hear about Wagner operatives, the more terrified I am of their very existence. What's the group's connection to the Kremlin? Does Putin have any oversight of what they do? So, as I said, the Kremlin officially says they don't know who Wagner are, that they don't exist, they don't cooperate. But there is a lot of evidence that the Kremlin works together with Wagner. You know, we haven't mentioned it, that Wagner is financed and very much run by a guy called Yevgeny Prigozhin. He is this businessman who is also known as Putin's chef because he ran a huge catering company that caters the whole of Kremlin and all the other ministries. As a young adult, Prigozhin was sentenced to nine years in prison for robbery and fraud. After he was released, he became a hot dog vendor. But the ex-convict had big aspirations. He's done big catering events for the Kremlin on special boat parties in St. Petersburg. There's also this famous picture of him serving Putin on a birthday party. Prigozhin is a fascinating character because he also ran the Internet Research Agency, which is sort of a fancy name for the troll farm mm. that he ran out of St. Petersburg, which America says influenced the 2000. 
and 16 US presidential elections. You know, the famous trolls that were writing pro-Donald Trump memes against Hillary Clinton. We saw a news story that some militiamen were hiding in the school in Donbass, and it was being shelled. Some children died. We simply took the news stories and wrote that Ukrainian soldiers shot and killed the children. That's it. No hesitation. And very much wherever Russia seemed to have political interests, Wagner seemed to pop up. So clearly, Prigozhin and Putin are really close, but... How much more can you tell us about Putin's relationship to the Wagner Group itself? Wagner has operated alongside Russia's Ministry of Defense on multiple occasions. So even though Putin won't be commanding Wagner soldiers himself or anything along those lines, you know, I think Putin endorses the use of Wagner alongside the regular army. And I think he sees it as a useful group, which gives him this plausible deniability wherever they go to say, well, this isn't us, this is sort of a special group that we have nothing to do with. So you've told us the Wagner Group first emerged in Ukraine in 2014 during Putin's annexation of Crimea. What did the group learn there and where did they go next? I think it's not so much what the group learned, I think what Russia learned and the Russian Ministry of Defense learned. And they learned that it's useful to use soldiers that aren't officially part of the government for special operations. And this is what we've seen in Syria, where they've been fighting alongside the Russian army and have been quite successful in some battles, like the Battle of the Asian city of Palmyra in 2017. But at the same time, Syria is also the first time the world has really found out about Wagner because of the heavy losses the group faced. How many operatives were sent there? From what we understand, a few thousand. And we don't know the exact numbers again, because this is not something that the Russian government would ever confirm. But a very strong indication of the real number of soldiers there was the 2018 Battle of Qassam, where more than 200 Wagner soldiers were killed by US airstrikes. The fight really was about the oil field of Deir Azor. It was between Assad forces and Kurdish-led opposition forces that were supported by the U.S. advisors. The U.S. intelligence found out that there were hundreds of Wagner soldiers in the area. And for what we know, they decided to sort of put up a major airstrike. U.S. and Kurdish forces attack a Syrian government base in the oil-rich region of Deir Azor in Syria. Russian media say an unknown number of private Russian military contractors were killed, possibly up to 200. U.S. officials estimate the death toll at around 100, with up to 300 injured. This was a, quite a significant event because it was the first time in a very long time that U.S. army was directly attacking and bombing Russian citizens in Syria. And if these were Russian soldiers, this would have led to a massive, massive escalation. But because they were Russian mercenaries, the Kremlin could sort of dismiss these events and say that they didn't really impact them because it was just Russians fighting for money that had nothing to do with the Russian authorities. And so there were some quite public losses, but presumably there's a lot of gains. And given their increasing public profile, does it mean that they were successful in Syria? I think if you define success as keeping Assad in power, then they were definitely successful. And I think it definitely raised also the reputation of Wagner domestically. You started seeing all these Facebook and Vkontakte, the Russian Facebook groups popping up, glorifying Wagner soldiers. And it's the first time you sort of really see that Wagner is seen as a respected, strong force within Russia. Prigozhin is starting to make movies about Wagner. Russia's 
to make TV shows about Wagner without specifically saying it's Wagner. I was going to say, without them officially existing, they're being sort of mythologized. Yeah, exactly. It's like this open secret that everyone knows about. I think Syria has really kicked start on Wagner, and then we've seen hundreds of hundreds of new recruitees joining the organization. So Russia sees the deployment of Wagner as a major success in Syria. Where does the group go next? So from there, they've started to expand rapidly, especially in Africa. They've landed in the Central African Republic, a very resource-rich but unstable country, where Wagner soldiers started controlling local mines. And actually three Russian journalists that tried to investigate Wagner involvement in Central African Republic were killed mysteriously and family members and other Russian journalists believed that Wagner soldiers organized their murder because they were against journalists finding out what was going on. Then we've seen them also fight in Mozambique on the side of the government against local Islamists. We've seen Wagner in Libya in 2018 fighting on the side of Marshal Khalifa Haftar. Warlord Khalifa Haftar continues to blockade the country's oil exports and with the support of Russian mercenaries, is seizing control of the country's oil fields and its ports. We've seen them land in Madagascar and lately in Mali as well. Piotr, a Guardian investigation in 2019 exposed the Wagner Group's operations in Madagascar in particular. What did it reveal about the scope of the group's activities? Well, it really showed that Wagner and Prigozhin's organizations go beyond just sort of crude military might. In Madagascar, they supported a local presidential candidate, Andrei Rayulenao, and they supported him not just with troops on the ground, but also through a whole network of social media trolling and other sort of campaigning on the ground. Prigozhin sort of used all his sources and influences, and he helped him win the presidency there in exchange for commercial deals that were signed later on following the elections. Wow. So... This isn't just a battalion of trained killers, but it's a sophisticated operation that also uses cyber tactics to influence the political sphere. Do we have a sense of how effective this kind of online interference is? Well, it's always hard to judge exactly how successful these sort of Facebook campaigns are. They look quite crude from the outside, but these are sort of pages that receive thousands and thousands of likes and shares. And I think that the sheer mass of them really show that they do have an impact, not just in Madagascar, but also in Central African Republic, Sudan, Zimbabwe, and a few other countries where Prigozhin was backing local candidates. And I think especially back then, Facebook wasn't regulating and looking for these campaigns as much as it is doing that now. It sounds like they've become ever bigger and bolder. But do we know if any of their missions have gone badly wrong? So Mozambique is a really interesting case study, and I've been sort of following Wagner's involvement there. The region up north, Cabo Delgado, has been battling an Islamist insurgency. The attackers swept through Palma, setting fire to shops, homes and offices. And the local authorities, they sort of flew to Russia asking for help. The president met with Putin and shortly after, so Wagner emerged in Mozambique, in the capital. But there, things went completely not the way Wagner would have wanted to. You know, I talked to local officials in Mozambique who said that the Russian soldiers were completely unprepared to fight in the bushes, the jungle environment. And there were many casualties. And eventually, Wagner just had to flee without honoring its contract. Right. 
think that was a big reputational hit for Wagner. And uh, interesting enough, I was talking to other South African contractors and they were saying how Wagner won that contract in Mozambique, partly because of Wagner's political connections, because with Mozambique hiring Wagner, they're not just getting Wagner, they're getting Russia's political support with them. So even though these South African companies were much more experienced fighting in these environments of Southern African continent, the country went for Wagner, which in the end turned out to be the wrong choice. But as you say, these aren't just guns for hire. Wagner Group won't just be parachuted in to fight or to influence local politics to the highest bidder. No. They actively pursue Russian political and commercial interests. How have they done that? So it's sort of a question to what extent Wagner profits most or the Russian government profits most from Wagner. And it seems it's really case by case study. You know, let's take Central African Republic. Wagner has moved in and taken control of a few mines which seems to be going directly the profits to Prigozhin and not to the Russian government. In January 2018, Prigozhin's Evropolis signed a contract with the Syrian state-owned General Petroleum Corporation. Evropolis would get 25% of the output from any petroleum facilities retaken for Bashar al-Assad by Wagner mercenaries. But then, for example, in Mali, there it doesn't seem to be pursuing pure commercial goals, but political strategic goals on behalf of Russia. So I think sometimes Wagner profits more, sometimes the Russian government profits more. Piotr, it's clear from everything you've said that it's very possible for the shadowy legal states of this group to commit human rights abuses and war crimes. So what do we know about what Wagner have been responsible for and what's the international response to their expansion been? There have been multiple reports of Wagner committing war crimes. One of the most shocking instances involved Wagner soldiers beheading a prisoner in Syria. An unarmed man taunted and tortured by four Russian-speaking men in military fatigues. They pin him down, and with a sledgehammer, they repeatedly strike his feet and his hands. The screams of agony drowned out by the sound of nationalist Russian military music and their laughter. These videos have been verified by multiple independent Russian and international journalists. We've been even able to identify who those people were beheading the soldier. In the Central African Republic, the UN has reported that Wagner has raped local women. It has also engaged in killings of the local population. The international community, it's taken some time for them to respond to Wagner because for a long time it was unclear exactly who they are and how do you sanction a company that doesn't exist. But lately we've seen the international community has sort of responded more strongly. Prigozhin is now fully sanctioned. Utkin is sanctioned. A few other people affiliated to Wagner have been sanctioned. The EU has announced sanctions on the Russian private military company Wagner, as well as individuals and entities linked to it. And I think for many Western officials, Mali has really been one of those turning points. In the streets of Bamako, Malians wave brooms and sweep away ash symbolizing the departure of French troops after nearly a decade. The Mali authorities, they said that they wanted to bring in Wagner soldiers. So I think the West seems to be in one way losing out in some of these places, but at the same time trying to respond by sanctioning. Well, what about in Russia itself? If Wagner is an open secret, how do ordinary Russians feel about the group's activities? So for a long time, it was an open secret and relatives were always scared to speak out about what happened to their loved ones who were killed in fighting in Syria or in Libya because they were also forced to sign contracts. Images you won't find on Russian state media. A grieving mother. Are they not people? 
they obviously went to fight to help. Even if it's for the money, it's because of poverty, it's because there are no jobs. Journalists were often hunted as well by Prigozhin, sued by him. So it was quite a hard topic to report on, but we've seen the tide changing a bit. I've recently written about this new movie that is sort of this first popularized movie of showing the damage Wagner does to families. Right. It's called Mama, I'm Home, and it's a story of a mother looking for her son fighting in Syria. But everyone's telling her that the son didn't really exist and he wasn't fighting in Syria. So I think it's becoming a bigger topic of discussion, definitely, in the country. Coming up, we hear from a senior Wagner commander who is proud of his work. Hello, Guardian columnist Jonathan Friedland here. I now have my own US politics podcast, which is, helpfully, called Politics Weekly America. So if you want to hear my interviews with politicians like Hillary Clinton or expert analysis from Guardian journalists and the latest news from Washington, D.C. and beyond, you should subscribe. To do that, just type Politics Weekly America into Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be there every Friday. Piotr, it's unsurprising that the last thing a Wagner employee would want to do is talk to the press. And yet, a month ago, you managed to speak to one of its former, very senior members. What was that like and what was he like? You know, I was quite nervous going into this conversation because you're meeting this former general of, of Wagner and, you know, all these stories. The guy is called Marat Gebedulin and we met at a cafe next to his house. He sort of lives on the outskirts of Moscow. He really looked like this Hollywood actor. He had these piercing blue eyes. He was a bit older, very muscular, big scars all over his body. Really someone you'd imagine to play a war veteran. But the same thing, he was very softly spoken and he really had a story to tell. Mm-hmm. Did he tell you in any detail of the work that he'd done or the battles that he'd fought? He talked about the fighting he did in Syria and also some of the looting. He was injured there as well. He was put in coma for a few months. At some point I asked him if he was a part of the infamous Battle of Hasham. And then he sort of opened up his sleeve quite dramatically, showed me some scar and he's like, of course I was there. That was the moment we almost died. I saved three comrades. It was this you know, quite emotional for him moment, I think. And it was also a moment for the first time when he showed his anger about the way the Russian Ministry of Defense and the army sort of let them down because he said, we were fighting alongside, we we're helping you to achieve your strategic goals. But at the same time, you sort of let us be bombed like this. You, know, you let us down. So why did he want to talk and what did he have to say? He was the first former Wagner soldier who's written a book about fighting for the group. And I think his main motivation was bringing Wagner out of the shadows. So I think he hated everything about the murky background of Wagner, the fact that the Russian government denies it exists. I feel he really felt that his contribution to the Syrian war, for example, wasn't valued enough. So this is really a man looking for recognition. 
And he wasn't against Wagner. He was actually the sort of a proud Wagner fighter and said he wasn't against Russia's campaigns around the world. He called himself a patriot, but he really hated the fact that the Russian government tried to suppress the fact that Wagner exists, telling the Russian Ministry of Defense, for example, to stop taking credit for our deaths and our victories. So it wasn't the violence or anything. He hadn't turned against no. any of that. He wanted his dues. He wanted credit paid. Exactly. I have to say he was condemning the beheadings and all what he called nasty stuff. And he said those guys had to be prosecuted. And, you know, if anything, he pointed to those war crimes as a reason why Wagner has to be more official. He said, if we weren't an open secret, we wouldn't be doing these things because we felt that we could get prosecuted for those things. So his whole story was just trying to be recognized. Should Marat have been worried talking to you? I mean, how comfortable was he speaking about the actual activities of Wagner and what it was that he was looking for? He was very worried. The book he wrote, he actually finished it over a year ago and he was planning to publish it then. But then he said he received a lot of pressure not to publish the book. He didn't want to say by whom, but it was sort of implied it was Prigozhin and Prigozhin's men. In the interview itself, he doesn't refer to Wagner, even though it's completely clear. So when I say Wagner, he sort of doesn't correct me. In the book also, he doesn't name Wagner by its name. He just says private military company. It's clear that he's scared of Prigozhin, not so much for his life, but also just for the legal fees. Prigozhin has sued many companies and many journalists as well for naming him. So it's definitely a man who was worried, but at the same time was very determined. And he said, I can no longer stay silent. I want my story out. And I think this is the right thing to do. When you both met, Russia hadn't yet invaded Ukraine, but there was a huge buildup of military troops at the border. What did Murat think about the prospect of war? So, yeah, I asked him the question about his thoughts on the war with Ukraine because of the buildup at that point. And, you know, he said, quote, I believe that the war between Ukraine and Russia will be a complete disaster for Russia. Under no circumstances should this be allowed. Ukraine is our brother. And you really felt that he believed this would be a fatal mistake for the country. And he said, if approached, he would never fight that war. And so looking at what's happening in Ukraine today, and no, it's never easy to know exactly what is going on with a group like Wagner at any one time. But what has been reported as happening so far in the country? It's hard to know exactly what Wagner's involvement is right now because things are moving so fast. But we have, I think, enough reports to credibly say that there is some involvement of Wagner on the ground. Western intelligence said that between two and 4,000 Wagner soldiers could currently be deployed in Ukraine and that they've been involved in failed assassinations of Zelensky. And two of the targets have also been the Klitschko brothers in Kiev. And this would be typical of Wagner's playbook because they wouldn't really be fighting alongside Russian army in Ukraine. They'd be there for special military operations. It's a group that can go underground, go into cities and fight the way a big organized army won't be able to without being noticed. Last week, the Ukrainian military has claimed that they killed the first Wagner soldier since the start of the war. They published these pictures with a name tag of a soldier they said previously fought with Wagner in Syria. And last week, Marat said he personally was approached as well by recruiters looking for soldiers. He obviously said he didn't want to fight because we know his real thoughts on the war. So there seems to be enough indication that Wagner is there. Piotr, yeah, so from everything you've told me, Wagner Group usually turn up in places where the Russian state doesn't want to commit a lot of its regular forces. 
But that's not the case in Ukraine. The country is now full of Russian soldiers. So why send Wagner Group there as well? Yeah, this is a good question. I think the fact that Wagner is on the ground could be a sign that the regular army is not managing to complete its goals at the moment. Obviously, we know the Blitzkrieg of Kiev has failed. Russia was hoping to encircle Kiev in the first few days and then take down the Zelensky government. We've heard similar reports of Russia looking to recruit Syrian soldiers. Right. And we've seen Russia using large battalions of Chechen soldiers which have never really fought outside of Russia before. And these are all signs that the 150,000 plus soldiers that Russia has committed so far might have not been sufficient. And now they're looking for alternatives. And Wagner has been this alternative throughout the last 10 years. And that drive to get more fighters on the battlefield has been reflected in reports over the last few days that Essentially, Wagner is ramping up its recruitment drive and lowering the standards for new soldiers to join. Now, as you've said, Wagner's presence in Ukraine could suggest the Russian army is struggling. But is there not an argument that actually Wagner are there to do the dirty work that the Russian military legally can't engage with? That's also another very credible theory that Wagner would have been involved in this situation anyway, even if things were going really well. And Russia just needs Wagner to do its dirty work for them. For example, by assassinating Zelensky, this is something that wouldn't be a good look for the Russian government if they just straight on assassinated the leader of Ukraine. But if Wagner does it, there's this plausible deniability to say that this wasn't us. You can always blame the Ukrainian forces on doing this themselves or find another reason why this happened. It's difficult to believe that if Wagner Group succeeded in their assassinations, that Putin could really escape being directly blamed. Putin has always created a system where he has consistently denied having any links to Wagner. The fact that Wagner doesn't exist on paper, the fact that he has never publicly stated any connections with Wagner will give him a lot of space and opportunity to sort of deny that this was something done by the Russian government. Even though the whole world might think this way, I think for domestic purposes, this would be a really easy way out for him if Wagner is indeed successful in killing Zelensky. Gosh, Yotta, thank you so much. Thank you. That was Piotr Sauer. I do recommend you read his full interview with Marat Gabadulin at theguardian.com, where you can also follow Piotr's reporting and more from the ground on what's happening in Ukraine and Russia. It's worth adding that while it's not possible to offer the Wagner Group a right of reply, Yevgeny Priyoshin has always publicly denied any knowledge or association with the mercenary group or the troll factory. And finally, if you enjoy listening to The Guardian's Jonathan Friedland discussing US politics every Friday, you'll want to subscribe to his new podcast because Johnny's show won't be available on Politics Weekly UK for much longer. The new one's called Politics Weekly America, and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Courtney Youssef. Sound design is by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producers are Mythley Rao, and Phil Maynard. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian.